Okay. Um, hi. So, I don't know what we're going to do with all the extra time when we finish Child Roland um, today, but we'll fill it up somehow, I'm sure. Um, any more thoughts about it? Did comma, did we have, as uh, Star Wars puts it? As, any more thoughts did we have? Hard to read, the Dark Tower is. <laughs> Ten twenty. I would imagine your book could just open to it because you read it so obsessively, but I guess not. Okay. Well, um, so uh, what? Yeah. Sorry. There Go. Was just, it's it's not even a, a significant thing, but you you know you asked how it was the intimations owed, and uh -huh. there was one line which I found um, that was like a little bit reminiscent of it for me, which was. A sudden little river crossed my path as unexpected as a serpent comes, which brought back to mind our whole The Intimation Zone is actually Paradise Lost uh -huh. discussion, and especially the, the little river. Like, little river is such an uncharacteristic coupling of words for this poem. It's not right. dark and it's not creep. Like, that sounds great. It's like, oh, yeah. cute little river. Cute little river. Dark tower. So that made me think of the kind of pastoral imagery of Okay, good. The brooks that down their channels fret. Um, good. Um, a little river runs through it. You know, you know the title of "River Runs Through It." Norman McLean, his great book. You know where it's from. Generally, when titles are sentences, observe how cool this is. Like "Child Roll Into the Dark Tower Came," or "A River Runs Through It." They're quotations. Tender is the night. Titles generally are noun phrases. Like um, every Faulkner book ever. <laughs> Absalom, Absalom, Light in August. Yeah, are, are noun phrases, yeah. Well, uh, The Great Gatsby. Generally, titles are noun phrases. Um, that's the thing about titles. Um, some, and, and it's kind of vulgar when they're not. Like, um, if you buy this book, you will change your life. Um, um, or win friends and influence people. Um, but even that. What, what he calls it is how to win friends and influence people. So generally titles are noun phrases. When they're not, when they're full sentences or full clauses, it's usually because they're quotations. Um, so a river runs through it is a quotation from uh, Genesis, and it's a description of Eden, that a river runs through it. Um, that's uh, one of the things that we know about Eden from Genesis. Um, were you going to say something? No, OK. Um, so yeah, I think that um, that makes it Eden also. If a little river runs through it, hi there. Um, if a little river runs through it, um, that makes it Edenic as well. Um, okay, so what we got to, and I think you know the reason Stephen King um, focused so hard on this is that there is a fantasy um, motif in fantasy literature, um, which is that the assignment, you're assigned to go to a place. And it turns out not to be that hard to go to the place at all. Um, you just get there. And there you are at the place. So um, you know that fairy tales and fantasies. Has anyone taken or is anyone taking a fairy tale course this term? Are you taking Sabina's course? Um, I took, or you took a couple weeks of it. You took a couple of weeks of it. OK, well, the standard thing to say about a fairy tale, there's a, there's a um, 
standard book about it called Morphology of the Folktale. Um, and the standard thing to say is um, that fairy tales begin with someone giving the hero or heroine an assignment. Um, and the moment of assignment is something that you will find in almost any fairy tale. Um, it, may, it may look very different in, in very different ways, but the moment of assignment is something you'll always find, and that assignment will require a journey somewhere. Um, so fairy tales, folk tales, all start with a moment where someone assigns someone else a journey. Um, and um, a frequent way that this happens is, um, and just, you, I'm sure you can think of examples of this, or at least the, the feel of it will be familiar to you, is either that the journey is very easy, so you get there, the hero gets there, the heroine gets there, um, but it turns out that she got there the wrong way. And because she got there the wrong way, she hasn't really gotten there. Um, there's the dark tower, or there is the magic well, or there is the cave of loneliness, or whatever. There are the two towers. Um, but it doesn't matter. They're inert. There's the interaction that's supposed to happen at this place, the magical thing that's supposed to happen at this place, the lamppost or the wardrobe or whatever. Nothing happens. And then the second step is the hero or heroine realizes that you can't get there that way. That if you get there that way, you simply get to the outside of the thing. You get to the thing as a normal thing and not as the fantasy thing. And it turns out you have to, you have to get there a different way. That you have to take the blue pill and not the red pill. Um, and then a variation on this is when the hero or heroine um, somehow blows it and then returns to the place that had been magical and goes right back to it, but it's now inert. What happened to it? It's gone. Um, a journey that had once been so fantastic, now that journey is repeated as the person tries to come back. Often what will happen is someone will say, if you leave here, you won't be able to come back. And then the hero or heroine, for whatever reason, will leave thinking that it'll be easy to come back. It was so easy to get there the first time, and then won't be able to come back. Um, that's Genesis. That's the intimations out. Heavily laying upon with different kinds of imagery, or a different way of telling that story, but still, a place to which you cannot return, that seemed so easy to be in. And then yet, once you leave it, it turns out that you can't return. Or that if you do return, it's not there. That what is there seems to be the place, and yet it's lost what made it magical. So if he's looking for the dark tower, and he turns aside into that ominous tract, which all agree hides the dark tower. So everyone agrees that the dark tower is there. But somehow, that fact in itself, let's just say, um, and here, let, let, let me reiterate a rule that um, I suggested very early on in this semester, which is um, that the best principle for reading literature, if you care about literature, um, some people don't. Um, some people are professionally involved in the reading of literature, but for other reasons than caring about literature. Um, caring about social justice, caring about history, various reasons. Um, but 
if you care about literature as literature, the best way to read a work of literature is to read it as being as good a work as it can possibly be. Now, what that means is not as good a work as it can impossibly be. There's no question that the intimations owed, for example, would be even greater if it influenced Milton instead of being influenced by Milton. And maybe there is a question about that. Um, but there are things that, that you can imagine. You could say, for example, that, um, I don't know, some, some um, uh, Michael Connolly novel was actually a really coded redoing of Paradise Lost if you read it with incredible care and also twisted everything that made that obviously not true into something that would make it true. Um, but it can't possibly be that. So no matter how good you can make it, you can't make it that good. The word possibly really matters. Um, if, for example, um, you think that it would be better for Pip and Estelle to get together at the end of Great Expectations, but Dickens writes that Estelle says goodbye forever, you can't say to yourself, ah, but I think goodbye forever was actually a secret code that they had between them, which Dickens never mentioned, which means we will stay together from now on, and now I'm happy. Um, that would make it a better work if I could read that as a secret code. And I can, because it's fiction, so why not? Um, but that would violate the rules of possibility. Um, so the best work it can possibly be means that you have to decide what things can possibly mean. And since it's fiction, there's only possibility rather than truth. Or the only criterion we really have for truth is the truth of our preference. Again, that's Frost. I would prefer some boy had been swinging them. Unfortunately, that's not true. But to the extent that you can prefer a possible reading, prefer the one that makes the work the best work it can be. That will enrich your life. And not doing that will impoverish your life. So let's say that for Child Rowland to the Dark Tower came, in my opinion, but this is something you can argue to or for or against in papers, and it's why you should argue for or against stuff in papers. You know, if you have the, if you, if it's, you have the attitude, I'm sure you've all had this in movies and so on, where you disagree about what happens in a movie and someone says, no, 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 I'm sure that, um, that he betrayed her. Um, and you may sometimes have the response to say, well, if that's true, that's a disappointment. That's not as good a movie if that really happened, if that's what happened in the movie. Um, that would make it not as good. Or I'm sure he didn't know what happened. Um, well, if that's true, it wouldn't be as good. Um, that idea that someone is misinterpreting, we, that, that's a very natural idea that a misinterpretation is an interpretation that makes a movie less good than it is, less good than the movie you saw. Um, sometimes, unfortunately, people can be right. That is, you watch it again and you see that they are right. Um, but sometimes there's something ambiguous or sometimes there's a genuine argument there. And I think that we all naturally prefer, if we like a movie, we prefer understanding a moment in that movie 
as the moment um, that, that works better for us. Um, of course he understood. Um, of course Sherlock knew what Moriarty was going to do at that moment. How could he not? Of course he was being ironic when he said, Mycroft is smarter than me. Um, or no, of course he wasn't. The whole point is that Sherlock Holmes can't be infallible. But if you have an argument, I mean, does this make sense to you that some of you will prefer Sherlock Holmes to be smarter than Mycroft, right? Is that, do you know what I'm? Because he is. Okay, see? <laughs> exactly. Okay, we'll stop right there, because he is. And then others will prefer him not to be. Some of you will prefer in the BBC Sherlock. Have you guys seen that? So some of you will, well, none of you will prefer Watson, right? Um, oh, well. Uh, what do you think of more? I don't know. It's, it's, he's a great character. He's much better than any other Watson. Yeah. yeah. Sorry? He Did he really? What's a BAFTA? The British um, Academy of Film and Theatrical Art Award. Um, yeah, well, he should have. I mean, they're, they're both great, but he's got a much harder role. Um, you know that straight men in, in comedy teams, um, like in Laurel and Hardy and Abbott and Costello, that the straight man in those teams actually gets paid about twice as much as the funny man, because being a straight man is so much harder a job. Um, and uh, um, you what? is that true? Yeah, it is. It's it's uh, this is a this is a really interesting factoid about um, about how comedy works. Um, people can't be funny without the right person as their partner. Um, and a really good straight man can make anyone funny. Um, and that's, um, everyone thinks the other person is the star, but it's actually the straight man who's doing the real star. And I think the same is true in the, in the I mean, they're both great. And, and Moriarty is great too, they're all great. Um, it's all good. But that's the point, it's all good, right? Um, did you guys see uh, the, the, the um, Jude Law, um, the, the second one? Yeah. You didn't like it? I mean, it was taken. Stephen Fry was just so good. It was unbelievable. Of course. I mean, he always is, but it was taken. Yeah, but so Mycroft is better. That's all I want to say. In that movie. Yeah, okay, good. So, um, if you haven't seen it, you've got to see it this summer after you've done your reading. So, um, all so let's say now that I think it's better if the speaker of the poem is Child Roland and if his quest is to get to the Dark Tower. These are things that are not provable except um, in saying which is preferable. So proof and preference here um, where you can prefer something that could possibly be true. I might prefer that pi be a rational number. That would make my mathematical life a lot easier. Um, but that's not possible. So even though I would prefer it, that's not a possible thing. Um, if I'm reading a book in which pi is a rational number or in which a character says, so now we take the exact value of pi, namely 22 sevenths, and we multiply that by the square of the radius, um, which is 4, and we say that 4 times 22 sevenths equals exactly 90, um, that's our solution. And now we know where to find the buried treasure. Um, and one possible reading of that that I might prefer is, and that's how they found the buried treasure, but the other reading is actually that's wrong. Um, it would be really bad if the writer of this book thought that this was good math. 
um, and that would make it not the best book it could possibly be if the writer was so mathematically illiterate and yet the hero of the book were um, a mathematician, let's say. Um, it would just be stupid. Um, so that's what I mean by, I mean, that's a trivial example, but that's what I mean by possibility. Um, so here, and you know, you know the great Dickens line, Dickinson line, right? I dwell in possibility. Um, in a sense, that's what she's meaning. Okay, so let's say then that Roland is the quester, is the child. A child, um, the note probably tells you, no, it doesn't, is a candidate knight, someone who is um, up for a knighthood, someone who is doing the tasks that you must do in order to earn a knighthood. Um, therefore, a young adventurer, someone who is taking risks rather than having already done all that, being settled in a position that he no longer has to earn. So child Roland, that's another thing Browning is focusing on, that he has to do this. He's assigned a task. So what's the task? Let's say that it's finding the Dark Tower. Now there are problems with, that, with saying that, but they're no, more, they're no harder than the problems with saying that's not the task. The problem is that, that the person at this point, at the very start, the hoary cripple with malicious eye, who is assigning the immediate first step of the task, is pointing him in the direction that all, we're in, in the direction of that tract which all agree hides the dark tower. Yeah. And I mean, the question you have to ask is, what did the old man tell him was down that path? If, yeah. If he lied. Yeah. So I would say, so I would say that the lie was the truth. That is to say that there's a sense, a fairy tale sense, in which the distinction between a lie and the truth is a little bit hard to make. It's like Iago saying, um, I'm telling Desdemona and Cassio what they should be, what they should do to win Iago, to win Othello's love back again. Um, divinity of hell, Iago says. I love the fact that I'm using the truth in order to destroy them um, rather than sim a simple falsehood. So it's something like if you think of it as the fairy tale situation, we're getting to the dark tower. There's a right way to get it, get to it, and the wrong way to get to it. And what the hoary cripple is doing is saying, there it is. And what Roland is thinking is, I know there it is. And the reason I didn't go that way is that's the wrong way. Yeah, it's there, but that's not how to get to it. So let the dark tower be this kind of fairy tale distinctiveness between the right approach and the wrong. And see, let's see where that takes us. So all agree that the Dark Tower is there, just as all know that in the tract called King Lear, in the copy of King Lear that Browning is holding, that he knows, has seen, contains the line Child Roll into the Dark Tower came, Reading, getting there through King Lear is not solving the mystery. It's finding the mystery, but not solving it. And yet somehow the quest is to solve the mystery without blighting it, without destroying the mystery. So King Lear hides the Dark Tower. It's not that you can't find the Dark Tower in King Lear. It's in Act 3, Scene 4. It's right there. 
did they actually tell you? Um, in Shakespeare King Lear 6, 4, they tell you. <laughs> um, it might be Act 3, uh, Scene 6, Line 4. There is no Act 6 in King Lear. Um, there are no sixth acts in Shakespearean drama. F. Scott Fitzgerald, Not I'd true. almost say. No. Then I read one that was divided strangely. Yeah, probably into scenes. Um, Shakespeare himself didn't do the act divisions. Um, I mean, you don't see them on stage. Um, so, um, yeah, so it's easy enough to find the Dark Tower. Um, it's right there, but that's not, that's not the way you're trying to find it. So, nevertheless, I did turn as he pointed. Acquiescingly, I did turn as he pointed. Why? Neither pride nor hope rekindling at the end descried. So he can see the end, and he doesn't feel pride or hope, even though the end described means he really is looking for the Dark Tower, so it would seem. So much as gladness that some end might be. So it'll be over one way or another. He can't do it anymore. For what with my whole worldwide wandering, what with my search drawn out through years, my hope dwindled into a ghost not fit to cope with that obstreperous joy success would bring. I hardly tried now to rebuke the spring my heart made, finding failure in its scope. So he says, I can't, I've been, I've been searching so long that, that I couldn't even cope with the possibility of success. But now my heart leapt up because I saw that failure, at least, was possible. That I, that I could succeed at failure. Success, not so much. But at least failure I could succeed at. Um, like a sick man very near to death. Um, so as when a sick man very near to death seems dead indeed and feels begin and end the tears and takes the farewell of each friend and hears one bid the other go, draw breath freelier outside, since all is air, since all is o'er, he saith, and the blow fallen no grieving can amend. While some discuss if near the other graves be room enough for this and when a day suits best for carrying the corpse away with care about the banners, scarves, and staves, and still the man hears all and only craves he may not shame such tender love and stay. That's how he felt, like a dying man who's afraid that given the beauty of the mourning that's already, the grief and lamentation that's already going on around him, that he's afraid he won't die. Because if he doesn't die, everyone will, this, this beautiful scene will be for naught. That's how he felt now, finding failure in his scope. Like, well, if I can just die now, it's okay. Thus, just like that, thus, I had so long suffered in this quest. The quest, again, I'm going to presume for the Dark Tower. Heard failure prophesied so oft, been writ so many times among the band. Now, that's a very odd simile. That is to say, just as a man hears his friend saying such nice things about him when he's going to die, so, I had heard people prophesy my failure so often. So, people saying, yeah, you're definitely going to fail. It's just like, poor fellow, he's definitely going to die. And it's a sweet sound, he's somehow saying. 
just notice the strangeness of that comparison. I had heard failure prophesied so often, been written so many times among the band. Who's the band? To wit, the knights who to the dark tower search address their steps. So they all looked for the dark tower. It's not that they addressed their steps to the dark tower, but to its search. That's where they went. They went looking for the dark tower. Yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> so almost as if the, the failure they're talking about is not just telling him he's going to fail, but saying, you're going to fail because we failed. Right. Yeah. And you belong to us. We are the band of outsiders. Um, we are the band, uh, the salon de refuse. We are the, those who will fail. Um, we want to find the dark tower, but we have all failed in this quest. You are the last of them the last of us. I'd been considered so long a part of this band that would fail, this, this band of desperados. There's a romantic attraction to that, those who, whose quest everyone fails at. So that just to fail as they seemed best, and all the doubt was now, should I be fit? And notice again, that, that sharpens the paradox. Should I be fit to fail? Will I be able to fail? You would, you would think anyone could be fit to fail. Anyone can find the dark tower. All agree where it is. Anyone can fail. Except for Roland, who's not even sure he can fail, or at least, to quote Samuel Beckett, fail better. Famous phrase in Beckett from, um, from his uh, very late play, Worst Word, Ho to try to fail, but fail better. So all the doubt was now, should I be fit? So quiet as despair, I turned from him, that hateful cripple, out of his highway into the path he pointed. All the day had been a dreary one at best, and dim was settling to its close, yet shot one grim red leer to see the plane catch its estray. Um, so we know he's been on this journey today, all day. It's now nightfall. What's the really interesting word in line 48, the last line of that stanza? Yeah. Okay, good. <laughs> you say it with a, just a tiny bit of contempt for me as though it's my pun. Um, but it's not. I, as I say, I point out, you decide. Um, so one last grim red leer of the sun to see the plane, so he's entering into a plane, catch its estray, catch its, um, the, the, the poor um, animal that it's, that it's um, going to trap. Yeah. I like that because like, if you've ever been like near the desert or like in a desert area, when the sun goes down, you get that like last intense right. dark red gleam as yeah. it goes down. Yeah. Only yeah. for a few minutes usually before it goes down to the horizon. Was it you who quoted Carmen McCarthy? Or, or, yeah. yeah, yeah. So you remember the subtitle or the alternate title? It's like Moby Dick or the Whale, Blood Meridian, or the Evening Redness in the in the West. The Evening Redness in the West. Yeah. Um, it's kind of weird that he says the plane gets astray, though, because wouldn't strays be like running away on a plane, and like the plane would be this? Good. Yeah. Isn't it? Wouldn't it make more sense to see the tower catch an astray? Yeah, but he doesn't see the tower. But instead, I mean, the next. But the red leer would. The red leer would see the tower, or, um, oh, I see. Yeah, but it's what he. It's, um, 
he's it, this is what it looks like to him that um yeah, no, a plane is a place of escape. No, you're absolutely right. Um, but he explains it in the next stanza for Mark. That is the four is going to is telling you here's the explanation of again a paradox like the paradox of finding the dark tower not being finding the dark tower. If you find the dark tower it's cuz you blew it in some way. Um, you need to find the dark tower um, in a completely different way than just happening upon it. But if I go down this way, I'll just happen upon it. Yeah. Um, also, planes aren't always a place of escape because it's just like a wide open space that you could be like easily caught. Yeah, it's a place of exposure. Yeah. Um, but still, it is. You would you would think of a trap catching an astray. So um, there is something. It's not. You're absolutely right that that um, it makes sense, but it takes a little work to make sense of it because um, the point would be to be that traps usually go with enclosure. Here the idea is somehow the whole world, this giant plane, is enclosing him. And yeah, that's it. that is what's happening, but it's worth noticing that that's um, a powerful image because an unexpected one. So then the explanation for Mark, no sooner was I fairly found pledged to the plane after a pace or two than pausing to throw backward a last view or the safe road was gone. So he takes two steps into the plane, turns around, cinematic, plane everywhere, no road, just plane everywhere. He really is trapped in it. He can't get back. And that's the explanation. Gray plane all round, nothing but plane to the horizons bound. I might go on, naught else remained to do, so on I went. I think I never saw such starved, ignoble nature. Nothing throve for flowers, as well expect a cedar grove. But cockle, spurge, according to their law, might propagate their kind with none to all. You'd think a burr had been a treasure trove. So it's an awful place um, that he's walking through. And um, we get him walking through it for many stanzas. Um, and it's um, the image here, people have traced, um, well, the imagery here is clearly from the lower regions of Dante's Inferno. Um, has anyone read it? So low in the Inferno, one of the amazing things about the Inferno is it just gets yuckier and yuckier as you go down to the lower circles until there's a kind of breakthrough where the yuckiness gives way to just a kind of emptiness. Um, and that emptiness, it's really not what you're expecting at all. You know, Dante is piling on burning shit to freezing shit um, to, to um, rivers of vomit. I mean, it's just getting really unpleasant. Um, but then beyond a certain point, that unpleasantness, even that gets purged away. And what you get is a kind of emptiness, just broken rocks and um, um, a kind of empty plain. Um, and all the boiling, um, really mud and shit, which you've seen before, all of that's left behind. Worse stuff is still to come, but there's this kind of um, long section of the inferno where it's just gray plain all around. Um, and that's, I think, pretty clearly on Browning's mind. Um, but he was also reading a book on the art of painting by a guy named Della Race. 
um, who describes um, in some detail paintings about wastelands. Um, and um, he was looking at the plates of that book. And um, he was just sort of getting really interested, or somehow, somehow that, that book that he'd been reading over the last couple of weeks um, was really now in his imagination. And so there's this long, barren, broken place, meaningless in a way that sheer meaninglessness could not be meaningless. Because if you see sheer meaninglessness, what greater meaning than that? It's totalizing. To say it's all meaningless is to say something about the all. But this kind of randomness of the plane that he's going through, it's, meaning, it's meaningless with a small m. And that's really meaningless with a small m. Yeah? I want to say, how much of, El how much of Eliot's uh, first chapter of The Wasteland is, is like from this, do you think? Yeah, yeah a, a fair amount. Um, Does he actually quote it? I don't really he doesn't quote it. Um, Pound, who was Eliot's mentor and the first editor of The Wasteland and cut it in half, um, begins a poem, for God's sake, Robert Browning, there can be but one Sordello. Um, one of Browning's famous poems was a poem called Sordello, um, of which the famous quip, I gave you that other quip about Browning yesterday, Wilde's quip, that Meredith is a prose Browning, but so is Browning. Virginia Woolf said about Sordello that she read the entire poem and didn't know at the end whether um, Sordello was a person, place, or book. Um, she just didn't know what, who or what Sordello was. Um, Pound did. He wanted to write about Sordello, but Browning had already done so, and Pound thought that was unfortunate. Um, but Pound is strongly influenced by Browning. Um, also influenced by what how knotted and clotted he thought language could be. This is not Browning in his knotted and clotted mode. Um, he gets a lot harder. Um, he's also smoother in some poems, like My Last Duchess. Do any of you know that? That's My Last Duchess painted on the wall, looking as though she were alive. I call that piece a wonder now. Fra Pandolf's hands worked busily a day, and there she stands. Um, that's just the smoothest. Um, most graceful poem imaginable. So Browning could write in any mode. Um, he wrote what are called dramatic monologues, of which Child Roland is one, sort of. But in a dramatic monologue, it's like he's writing a Shakespearean soliloquy and only the soliloquy. Um, Child Roland isn't that, but that's what a dramatic monologue is. Um, and um, so he wrote for many, many, many different voices because he wrote many, many, many different characters giving those monologues. Um, and therefore he wrote in many different tones. But um, among those tones was incredibly clotted and difficult um, poetry. Um, and Pound wrote equally clotted and difficult, but much less valuable poetry. Um, but, but Browning made that possible for him, and Pound made Eliot possible. Um, so yeah. Um, and hence the wasteland, the whole idea of a wasteland. Um, so let's go to stanza 15. Um, grotesquerie all around, so he looks inward. I shut my eyes and turn them on my heart. As a man calls for wine before he fights, I asked one draft of earlier, happier sights, ere fitly I could hope to play my part. Think first, fight afterwards, the soldier's art. One taste of the old time sets all to rights. Not it. 
so not the taste he just had. That doesn't set anything to rights. Why not? He thinks of these characters who Stephen King picks up. Um, these characters will appear in Stephen King as well. Not it. I fancied Cuthbert's reddening face beneath its garniture of curly gold. So he remembers his youth, his, the friends of his youth. He has a kind of separate piece moment. He remembers Finney. You guys read a separate piece? Yeah. No? I, I think it's still a fairly standard high school book. Did you read it in high school as well? Anyone else read it? Um, it's a good book. Um, it really is. It's, it's a little bit dated, but it's still a really good book. Um, okay, so it's just remembering all the innocent people in high school who eventually um, led the um, adult lives of um, pettiness and self-serving interests that you never would have predicted when you knew them as, as your friends in school. Um, you'll see how this happens. It's an unfortunate and unhandsome part of life. Um, not it, I fancied Cuthbert's reddening face beneath its garniture of curly gold. Dear fellow, till I almost felt him fold an arm in mine to fix me to the place the way he used. Alas, one night's disgrace. Out went my heart's new fire and left it cold. So there was Cuthbert in the days of innocence, but then backstory, which I'm not telling you, he disgraced himself, and just thinking of him put out the fire in my heart. Yeah. Oh, is that what I mean? Yeah. What did you think of it? Uh, Cuthbert disgraced himself. Yeah. Okay. We do, you may not know that quite from that stanza, but the next stanza about Giles will tell you because look what happens to him. Giles then, the soul of honor. There he stands, frank as 10 years ago, when knighted first. What honest man should dare, he said he durst. Good, but the scene shifts. Fah, what hangman hands pinned to his breast a parchment. His own bands read it, poor traitor spit upon and cursed. So. Um, you have a parchment pinned to your breast for cowardice, um, for cowardice that reaches the point of treachery. So he's hanged for some cowardly act which betrayed his own followers and his own comrades. So he thinks of these two people who are so charismatic and important and idealistic and how they lost that. They failed. They're part of the band, and they're part of the band that failed. And then this change, which again could be a moment, a very, very dark version of the intimations ode. Better this present than a past like that. That is knowing what I now know, even though it's all grim. Better this present than a past like that. Back, therefore, to my darkening path again. No sound, no sight as far as I could strain. Will the night send a howlet or a bat, I asked, when something on the dismal flat came to arrest my thoughts and change their train, namely this sudden little river, which crossed my path as unexpected as a serpent comes. No sluggish tide congenial to the glooms. This, as it frothed by, might have been a bath for the fiend's glowing hoof to see the wrath of its black eddy bespate with flakes and spumes so petty yet so spiteful. And then 
we get more of this terrible wasteland. Um, he reaches the other side um, and go to stanza 23. Um, what is the fiend? Um, Satan. Um, if you just say the fiend, it means Satan. Um, fiend um, then is used metaphorically, like when you say of someone, you devil. Um, but you're not, there is the devil. Um, and then there are devils who are like the devil. So if you say to someone, you devil, um, or you fiend, or that's very fiendish of you, um, it, the, the original reference is to the, the single fiend, namely Satan. Um, it's like if they had a Facebook dislike button, they could also have a Facebook fiend button. Um, list fiends, people you don't like. Um, people you've blocked. No sense of humor in Facebook, though. Okay. Um, so glad was I when I reached the other bank. This is stanza 22. Now for a better country. Nope, he was wrong. Vain presage. He thought it would be better. It wasn't. Who were the strugglers? What war did they wage? Whose savage trample thus could pad the dank soil to a plash? Toads in a poison tank or wildcats in a red-hot cage? The fight must so have seemed in that fell cirque. Um, so he's in um, a circle, surrounded circle, that looks like it's a place where, I don't know, maybe the earthquake demon taught her young ruin, something like that. Um, Browning actually wrote a poem about Shelley. His first long poem was essentially an ecstatic hymn to Shelley. Um, he thought Shelley was, not wrongly, but he thought Shelley was the greatest thing ever. Um, and Browning, um, if there was one poet who Browning thought um, was what it meant to be a poet, that was Shelley. Um, remember that poem, The Lost Leader, that I read you, um, which is about Wordsworth, um, where Wordsworth alone joins the slaves? Um, so among the great poets who are for us and with us. That's the band also. I mean, it's just to remind you of it. Um, you should think of Child Roland to the Dark Tower came as um, imagining a band not unlike the, um, is it not in here? The Romantic Poets. Not unlike the Romantic Poets, yeah. I guess it's not in this. So Cuthbert and Guile, which could be sort of like a Coleridge yeah. and Wordsworth. Yes, yeah, 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 I think so. Um, I hadn't actually thought specifically of them, but I think you're right. Um, they were great, but look what happened. Um, and yeah, what he says in The Lost Leader is, and Wordsworth has joined the slaves. Um, he had been our leader, but look at him now. He's joined the slaves. Milton was for us. Byron was with us. Shelley and Blake and so on, they, they call from their graves. Um, he alone left the freemen. He alone is one of the slaves. Wordsworth. Who wrote? Browning. Browning. Yeah, in the poem, The Lost Leader. The Lost Leader is Wordsworth. Why? Because he was Benedict Arnold. Um, he betrayed them. He had been their leader and he betrayed them. But Shelley, Browning... Browning thought Shelley was, um, the, rightly thought Shelley was the most idealistic of poets and would never, um, and the most courageous of poets and would never change 
his commitments. So, you can think of the earthquake demon teaching her young ruin. The fight so must so have seemed in that fell cirque. What penned them there? Um, would it make it better or worse for you if you underlined the word pen? That is penned as in penned in, but penned as in what you do to a poem. The real question, better or worse? Do you want to see a pun there or not? No. You don't? Yes, no. Um, okay, I think that's that's a question asked. You, you have to see it a little. A little, maybe, yeah. I think I like it better if it's the idea of the writer is the written uh -huh. instead of the writer. Okay, good. Writer. Yeah, I think that's how I like it, too. That's really good. Is that what you were thinking, Danielle? Yeah. Yeah, good. I think that makes it nice. All right, what do you think? Um, I don't think, I mean, I, I get that without any kind of visual aid. Okay. So what penned them there with all the plain to choose? No footprint leading to that horrid muse, none out of it. Mad brewage set to work their brains, no doubt. Like galley slaves, the Turk pits for his pastime, Christians against Jews. Um, so there it all is. He looks around. It's all horrible. Um, a great black bird, line 160, Apollyon's bosom friend sailed past, nor beat his wide wing, dragon penned. Um, that brushed my cap, perchance the guide I sought. Why does he think it might be a guide? Because looking up, aware I somehow grew, in spite of the dust, the plain had given place all round to mountains, with such name to grace mere ugly heights and heaps. So we thought it was going to be sublime, no such luck. It's all ugly. How he got there, he doesn't know. Yet, stanza 29, half I seem to recognize some trick of mischief happened to me, God knows when, in a bad dream perhaps. Here ended then progress this way, when in the very nick of giving up, one time more, came a click as when a trap shuts. You're inside the den. Burningly it came on me all at once. This was the place. Those two hills on the right crouched like two bulls locked horn and horn in fight, while to the left a tall scalped mountain. So this was what he's been looking for. Dunce, dotard, a sleeping, a dozing at the very nonce, after a life spent training for the sight, what in the midst lay but the capital T tower itself? So good, sublime, can't wait. The round squat turret, blind as the fool's heart, built of brown stone without a counterpart in the whole world. So the tower, no, it's not impressive. It's like a negative Wizard of Oz. It's small, dark. Were you thinking brown? When you saw that title, Child Rolling to the Dark Tower came? Black. Yeah, or you know, some, some kind of serious black-gray sort of outfit. Yeah, but brown? Um, I was looking at the Eiffel Tower, just in the middle of the desert. <laughs> yeah, no, but you know, it's... it's, it's looking for Las Vegas. What? <laughs> Very specific, then. Um, <laughs> that, that, uh, are you thinking of the book? No, I think Denise Scott, you know, there's a book called Searching for Las Vegas by, no, it's actually Learning from Las Vegas by Denise Scott Brown and Robert Venturi. But so the tower, here's the tower kind of getting brown, or we could call it browning. Um, and really, what is it? Um, Overreading or not to say that what it is is a pile of shit. It's a turd. The last thing we wanted it to be built a, the round squat turret 
blind as the fool's heart, built of brown stone, without a counterpart in the whole world. The tempest-mocking elf points to the shipman, thus the unseen shelf he strikes on only when the timbers start. But he sees it not see, and this is the sublime um, wind-up of the poem. Not see because of night, perhaps. Why, day came back again for that. Before it left, the dying sunset kindled through a cleft the hills like giants at a hunting lay, chin upon hand to see the game at bay, namely him. Now stab and end the creature to the heft. Not here, when noise was everywhere, so suddenly it's cinematic again. Just sounds of bells everywhere, told increasing like a bell. Names in my ears of all the lost adventures of my peers, how such a one was strong, and such was bold, and such was fortunate. Yet each of old lost, lost. One moment knelled the woe of years, there they stood. All the dead were there. A living picture. There they stood, ranged along the hillsides, met to view the last of me. A living frame, excuse me, for one more picture. In a sheet of flame, I saw them and I knew them all. And yet, and we saw and yet before, and yet acquiescingly I did turn as he pointed. There they are to see him end. And yet, dauntless, the slughorn to my lips, I set and blew Child Roland to the Dark Tower came. So he finds it, and it's supposed to mean his failure. And yet, at that moment, he blows defiance and says the line with all its greatness, even though the Dark Tower is saying, greatness is over. You can't be great. And because it's saying that, that's the, that gives him an intense contrast to reiterate the great line. Child Roland to the Dark Tower came. What we can say is if Wordsworth is about turning the loss of intensity into the intensity of loss, what Browning is about is undoing the difference between success and failure. If failure in Browning, I can't give you a poem that, that is adequate to this line. So what will I do? I will just give you the line. And I will get to the line one way or another without ruining it. And that's what he does, is he gets to the line without ruining it, which is pretty amazing. And he gets to it without ruining it because he can't get to it in a way that makes it make sense within a narrative. It's a rejection of all that kind of sense making. Okay, for Monday, turn of the screw. Um, at, I'd say at least the first quarter for Monday. Have a good weekend. What does Stephen King do with it? Does anyone ever go inside?